the incomparable. Number 418, August 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable's Summer of Marvel. And somebody may have noticed, I don't know if you're paying attention, that a Marvel movie was released while we were doing this Summer of Marvel. And there was a question of like, well, okay, I guess we should cover that too. I didn't, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead. But guess what? Uh, It's the sequel to another movie that we never did an episode about. And so in this episode, we're going to discuss 2015's Ant-Man and now's 2018 for those listening hello everybody in 2021 listening to the summer of marvel at any season of the year it's australia it's december it's the summer of marvel in 2021 anyway uh, 2018's ant-man and the wasp uh joining me to talk about these uh movies about ant-man and friends are the following wonderful people chip sutterth is here hello chip i am looking forward to the wasp movie and the waspless wasp movie yes yes the wasp is in all of the movies but uh uh, she got her name in the movie the second time, which is nice. Uh, Kelly Gamont is also here. Hello. Hi. Which species of ant are you? Oh, geez. I don't okay. know. Just a crazy ant. I'm, I'm going to call her <laughs> Kelly Gamant. Oh, oh no. no. Don't do that. That's David J. Lore who just said a terrible thing. Hello. Oh. Hi. Hi. As, as someone who's been lost in the quantum realm for a while, I'd like to quote Steve Martin and say, Let's get small. Mm, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> and Cicero Holmes is back. We talked to you about Black Panther. And now you're back for the Ant-Man. Hello. Y- yes, I have phased through from Wakanda <laughs> through your walls. <laughs> like, through a like keyhole. A, yes. Like a, like a nameless villain. Um, the, uh, so the Ant-Man. Yes. Uh, this was a movie with a long history. Uh, Edgar Wright wanted to make an Ant-Man movie for a long time, sort of before Marvel movies were really a thing. Um, in the end, and he gets a screenplay credit, but uh, was uh, he, he and Marvel went their separate ways because I, I suspect the people want to make this more dramatic than it is. I suspect the movie he always wanted to make was not a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It was an Ant-Man movie with his own particular spin on it. And Marvel business of Marvel mm-hmm. got so large and they needed it to be what they you know fit in with the mcu and i think it's understandable that that was not really what edgar wright uh mm-hmm. show was was signing up for in the beginning oh man but if i could have seen ant-man at the end of the world i know been, yeah it's true right? it's true i think that would have been a great movie i also think it would have been kind of a baffling like not quite marvel movie but that not that it wouldn't have been good but that i, I get why both sides would be like this is the movie i want to make and they're like yeah we can't make that movie um which, but it, it is kind of sad however that said and i'm gonna lay my cards on the table here because i just re i just rewatched this movie um i love this movie it is it is so surprising in the ways that it is not like many other Marvel movies and the the light touch it has in many points and the fact Well it is a smaller movie. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Anyway, so so Paul Rudd, the ageless Paul Rudd. Hey, 2021 Paul Rudd looks the same now, doesn't he? <laughs> yep, I yes. thought so. Um, he is Scott Lang. He is a uh, an ex-con. Uh, he is uh, recruited by Michael Douglas, who is Hank Pym, to steal his technology back from p- bad people who want to uh, who want to use this shrinking technology that Hank Pym invented for evil. We get a flashback scene early on where Michael Douglas is digitally de-aged, and we see him with Peggy Carter mm. and Tony Stark's dad at a Shield meeting, where he basically quits and says, "You can't use my shrinking technology; it's too great a weapon." And he walks out after punching a guy. <laughs> 
uh, who we see later. <laughs> we see that guy. Um, and uh, who else? Uh, there are a great uh, cast of Angeline Lilly is Hank Pym's daughter, who really thinks she is by far more qualified to wear the suit than Scott Lang is. Uh, she's right. But uh, yep. but uh, uh, Hank Pym is too scarred from losing her mother, who was the wasp who died by shrinking down too far, sacrificed herself to save a city from a nuclear missile. Um, and so he won't let her use the uh, use the technology instead using Scott. And then there's a whole bunch of other uh, people, including Bonnie, Bobby Cannavale as the husband to uh, Scott's ex-wife, who is Judy Greer, which is Judy Greer is in a Marvel movie. Yeah, sure. Why not? She's great. <laughs> okay. And then uh, a, a cameo by Anthony Mackie as the Falcon. And then there is a uh, there are a trio of uh, of guys led by Michael Pena, who are Scott Lang's friends who get called oh. back to be to be on the big job that the big heist that happens toward the end of the movie it's a heist movie it's kind of a comedy it's kind of a redemption story it's also a superhero movie where things get big and small and are are pretty wacky and that is where we'll start which is 2015's ant-man uh and then we'll get to we'll get to ant-man the wasp in a little bit so i was very pleasantly surprised i mean not really surprised but like pleasantly re-watching it and thinking yep 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 still love this movie but i'm curious what everybody else uh uh thought when they when they went back to revisit uh ant-man what what'd you all think oh i i loved it the first time and i loved it every time i've seen it i have it on my computer you know just just the thought i mean i've said this on other shows before that i'm tired of everything being the end of the world end of the universe giant stakes this literally makes the stakes so small that the climactic fight is on a thomas the tank engine table oh man Come oh, on. Yes. That's so brilliant. And it stands out from all the rest of the Marvel movies as a result. The gra- the grandiosity of that scene where they're fighting them on the train and it's and and it's like the explosions and the lasers and all of that. And then there's that <laughs> moment where it cuts back and it's just like toot toot and it's just a little toy. <laughs> it's the moment of like right. please don't take this too seriously, right? It's just a beautiful right? moment. Yeah, it, it it deflates itself uh, on a regular basis and it's great. <laughs> Was that um, intentionally another one of those puns, Chip? Because I, I, I've got a lot of them i just got to tell you um watching watching this uh again uh just before we uh, recorded um i loved it i think as much as i ever did i saw a lot more of the flaws uh, it is a it feels a little more cheaply made than more of the than most of the other marvel movies uh some of the effects don't hold up real well the green screen's kind of eh. but uh, the thing that I keep coming back to in this movie is, well, I, I'll, I'll just say it here right now, the the third movie should be titled Luis, the Wasp, and Ant-Man. <laughs> Preach! There, yes. there is so much character and humor, and I, I get the feeling that because this was in development for so long, you know, the the big the big bad is just... A weapon, a suit of armor, a shrinking suit of armor that will change the face of the world. This is after, this is after Age of Ultron and Sokovia and um, and uh, Chitari descending upon New York and stuff like that. I feel like that plot's sort of a holdover from how long this movie gestated. But you're mm-hmm. right, the, the stakes yeah. being smaller. Um, it just gives us a lot more room for fun, and that is the thing that I adore about this, even when I feel like they could have spent a little bit more money and polished it just a little bit more and made the made the dialogue 
sing a little bit more. The two things that stand out about this in this, about this movie for me are first, um, I I will admit I was surprised because it is in all the way that matters absolutely a Marvel movie. And it feels like it does fit with the rest of the universe that they've been setting up up to this point. So, but it does have that lighter touch. It's not so much existential crisis. There's no great big bad, you know, like the bad guy is a bad guy, but it's not a world ender. And I did enjoy all of that in it. It was, you know, um, what they called a unicorn chaser. It was like the unicorn chaser of Marvel movies. And, the thing that the other thing that stands out to me about it is its charm. Mm. It is definitely a charming movie. There are moments and we get more of them in the second one of uh, Scott and his daughter, who I can't mm. believe didn't get mentioned in the rundown because well, I so love many her people so in this movie. much. Yes, well, she and and in a way, the stakes aren't so much the the shield stuff and all the technological stuff the real stakes for scott are his relationship with his family and his daughter right right and right it's off the, the heart bat. it's the heart in this movie that i think yeah. is is what i enjoy about it more you know i like the big stuff i love a movie with explosions i love a movie slightly more <laughs> when those explosions are in space um so my dinner those- with andre yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, precisely. Yeah. Uh, so those are things that I really like in the Marvel movies, but I did like this one. And, and precisely, I think when you watch the battle on the train, you're getting a sort of standard issue Marvel fight scene. And then it becomes absolutely an Ant-Man fight scene when they pull <laughs> back and you're like, yeah, that's don't forget. That's Thomas, the tank engine we're talking about here. And. <laughs> That like and and those moments throughout the film, like it did absolutely feel like I said, like a Marvel movie in all the ways that counted, um, which was the part that surprised me because I'm like, you you know, you cast Paul Rudd and we've seen the trailers. We've seen a little bit of him sort of in action. And, you know, is Marvel going to be able to pull off something a little more fun and entertaining that isn't necessarily marvel in law you know like guardians of the galaxy was one of the ones that did a really good job of this like it still feel it it feels like it could be a marvel movie but it's a it's it's excellent on its own as a self-contained piece of cinema and i felt like maybe that's what they were going for with this but it did sort of slip in right in line with the other marvel movies which i enjoy and i really liked um and i think the second one did that as well but yeah the stakes in this one are not the universe the stakes are scott's relationship with his daughter and his relationship with his friends and the ability to rebuild his life you know, once he tries to end up out on the straight and narrow and, you know, he is deep down a good guy and trying to come to terms with that. And yeah, seriously, it, all I need from the third one is that it be a Michael Pena movie and then other people just show up. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, the thing that uh, no one seemed to mention is that it this was a movie that really showed uh, that there was a stylistic differences between and i think you said you said it oh, a little yeah. bit jason that there's stylistic differences between the marvel films uh you know a lot of people came out of winter soldier saying wow that was a great great film great marvel film but it was just like a great espionage film right and then we got guardians uh this this movie that everyone was very skeptical about uh and they came out of it saying wow that was a great sci-fi film Definitely a Marvel film, but what a great sci-fi film. And then 
uh, I walked out of Ant-Man saying, man, this was a great heist film. And it was so yeah. unexpected that I was going to get a heist superhero film. <laughs> um, it, it, it just it, like it really just boggled my mind. I mean, I'd rather watch. Uh, well, I love Ant-Man. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside. <laughs> the original Ant-Man was great. Um, but as a heist film, I'd watch this seven times over just as a heist film. God, yes. Over ocean, over oh, oceans eight. For real. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that movie was horrible. And this movie was, <laughs> this movie was great at just, just at being a heist film. And, and then, you know, and then you start adding in all of the, uh, the extra tidbits and Easter eggs for the Marvel fans that were out there. But you didn't have to know anything about the Marvel uh, universe uh, in this film and very much so in the second film mm-hmm. uh, with and and be able to just enjoy this film as it as its own by itself in the same in very much the same ways that the original Guardians was like that. I don't know so much about Guardians too. you know, a lot more of that was tied in. The one of the funny things uh, I'm going to make a totally random reference here. But remember when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was uh, big, and uh, they ran it like every night until everybody was sick yes. of it. You know that's yes. that's one way to handle success is just shove it down people's throats until they finally <laughs> yes. are like I can't take it anymore. <laughs> right. I feel like Marvel, you know, they did a very very smart thing in this era, right in this middle you know era of the MCU where it had become the Avengers movies made billions of dollars, and somebody said, you know, we have the creative license to do different stories and we need to do different stories because people are going to get sick of the same old movie. And you could argue that they still rely a little bit too much on the uh, big explosive ending with a portal opening up somewhere and all, you know, the things that happen in <laughs> sure. seemingly right, endless. Right. Those are, yeah, endless, those are but, but the fact that they made, Cicero, you said it perfectly, like they made that sci-fi movie and they, and they made the, the, the paranoid thriller and they made the heist movie and it's still a Marvel movie, which is kind of also impressive that they were ma- able to sort of keep your understanding of this is in the marvel movie area while varying the tone and the style and the story being told that's a nice trick it's also super smart because i think otherwise they would everybody would have been completely sick of these marvel movies if they didn't Mm -hmm. show this kind of it's much more dynamic range than you might expect from a superhero movie series right like to do this and it's a good movie Zack snyder call yeah oh yeah (laughs) and that's the big thing that I think is happening in the Marvel movies at this point is that it's not just that you're getting the stylistic differences, um, the the space opera of Guardians, the heist of this movie, but deeply embedded in both of those two movies, they take the humorous threads that were always there in the earlier MCU movies, and they just turn into the skid this isn't mm-hmm. just a heist movie it's a comedy heist yeah. mm-hmm. yes 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 and i and i and i love that as well i i think in terms of just in terms of comedy and polish i think i personally prefer guardians of the galaxy to ant-man but the things that work about this work so well there's a warmth to this thing the the mm-hmm. the, the family angle the um the 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 brohood between um scott lang and his crew um you know these these are folks that care about each other and they're motivated by relationships and they're funny as hell at the same time you know in that way that also is what makes it a disney movie mm, yeah which huh. yeah which is, you know, let's admit it, it's kind of Disney's jam, 
you know, we're going to make a movie about family. Some of your family is biological. Some of your family is chosen. And whoever it is, you care about them and you care about them so hard. And, you know, and that's where this comes from. And that's the point of this. (laughs) Well, so so many of the Marvel characters are kind of dissociated from their families, too. And that is a big thing about this movie, that it is about Hank and Hope. And it is about Scott and his daughter and his kind of, you know, extended family with his ex-wife and her husband who are part of this story too right and and the and actually i guess the dysfunctional relationship between hank pym and darren cross it's true right? uh, it's true right you know, has some daddy yeah. issues in there and that is oh, definitely yeah. i mean th- there's some internal logic that i really like about that that cross i mean he ends up what they say i mean he he of course he's going to be a ranting bad guy one of the first thing we see he he shrinks a a, a guy who basically is threatening to to tell on him into protoplasm right. and wipes <laughs> him up and flushes him down the toilet so like okay we know who the bad guy is it's very very clear but <laughs> yeah the movie tries to say well his mind is being warped because he doesn't understand what he's doing while he's and and he's also has this bad relationship with hank and it tries to kind of like put him in a context where his real you know when this all started he was just like trying to be his own man and and he says at one point you proud of me yet hank and it's like i mm-hmm. believe that i believe right. that that he is so right. embittered about not being given the keys to the kingdom and now he's trying to make up for it and he's pushed himself completely off a cliff by doing that and that's i i think that's actually kind of interesting as a villain that that he's not you know it is just about ultimately that hank pym is kind of a jerk and everybody around him has a hard time uh, not being him basically I confess that Corey Stoll as Darren Cross is my least favorite. Not only is he my least favorite part of this movie. um, Yeah, I I think he's my least favorite Marvel villain full stop. I think he's Um, even worse than Ronan. Yeah, I don't agree with that, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, I I was going to say it's. It's funny that you, you mentioned preferring Guardians to this, because I'm, as much as I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy, and I really did, uh, I kind of prefer this as a, as a comic thing, just because it, it does have the, all those dimensions. It has all those human relationships. It has all of that going on too david lore chips that are civil war <laughs> the, the lead the lead character has a lot to do with it too because um although i really like guardians of the galaxy um and i think chris pratt does a good job in it his character he's kind of a you know he's a he's, he's a, an ass a, he's yeah he's an arrest he's got arrested <laughs> development he's kind of a, a, a jerk he has to learn yeah. a lesson and here scott has to learn lessons right but scott is a uh, you know a nice I, guy. I, I like that he's kind of a bumbling nice guy who just wants to you know makes bad decisions but just kind of wants good things to happen which is uh, but i i also say pick your poison right like these are two different kind of archetypes for a lead uh lead character in the these movies but i would lean toward it man i think partially just because i like paul rudd so much which is not to say i don't dislike i i, I do like chris pratt i just i sure. pa- paul rudd like how could paul rudd be in a superhero movie that right. when this movie right. Right. like how was right. that even a thing that could possibly exist and here it is yes also the unlikeliness of an ant-man movie at all and I, I guess I guess that's where we come back to uh, the influence of Edgar Wright in saying, I want to make an Ant-Man movie, because uh, why would you ever make an Ant-Man movie? And if the MCU has not taught us anything, it's that uh, maybe there's an advantage to taking obscure characters, and you get a right. little more leeway, and you find the interesting aspects of it. Because we saw that with the original Iron Man, when nobody cared about Iron Man. We saw it with Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy. We've, you know, we've seen it again and again. I suspect we'll actually see it again with Captain Marvel, too, where it's sort of like, who? Right. Like, nobody knows, and that's good. Like, good. Good. You'll find out. I see no way that DC can ever do an Adam movie after these Ant-Men Oh, yeah. Movies. No. This is just 
freaking weird. More so in this movie than in Ant-Man and the Wasp. You know, it's not just the shrinking gags, but it's the ant gags. And the bizarreness of Stanley and Jack Kirby creating a character who shrinks and commands ants <laughs> and then putting this on in a freaking movie. These are actually two Hank Pym is a size changing whiz and an entomologist. These do not go together. <laughs> no. It's like this it's is like impossible. He, he learned how to shrink and he was like, oh man, those ants are gonna get me. I better learn about how to control ants now. Right. right? That's right. It doesn't really <laughs> cue follow. montage. There, there is I mean, that's the key moment too, because it is true. This movie undercuts itself at every step, which is one of the reasons I love it. Um, yes. the moment where he appears to Anthony Mackie at the Avengers facility and says, I'm Ant Man. And the and the look that Mackie gives him is just like Oh, what? Like, why would there be an Ant-Man is what he's basically saying. It's like, are you kidding me? It's great. Because it's like, yeah, good question. Why would there be an Ant-Man? I don't know. There's no good answer. But here we are. Yeah, I I, I mean, so I love uh, and, you know, of course, we're going to talk about him in, in the second part. But Scott's crew. Um, you know, yeah, we talked about Michael Pena. Uh, you know, uh, shout out to T.I., who is really showing. Uh, that he is Tip Harris, uh, but he is really showing his, his acting chops, uh, in, in lots of different movies. And he wasn't given a lot to do, but the fact that was like what he, what he was there to do was, was memorable and he didn't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, and then the other guy was, uh, was really cool too. Like da- I, I David Desmalchian, who is apparently yeah, yeah, doing yeah, a fake right. Russian accent for, throughout the whole movie. It's really great. <laughs> yes. So like, uh, they were, they were really good. And, and I, you know, I thought that, uh, that collection of like, it seemed believable that the four of those people would be friends. Like there was good mm-hmm. natural chemistry between them. Right. Yeah. It felt like we were walking into the middle of the relationship they had and not like we were sort of watching them figure it out as we watched it watched them figure it out like we were with scott and hank for example like that dynamic is totally different the funny thing is again is that michael pena is the leader of those guys scott you know scott is is ant-man he's the hero but michael pena is the you know he is the son that 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 group so you know uh uh revolves around uh, revolves, yeah, yeah exactly that word <laughs> and it's it, it, you know it's his office it's his van the whole the whole thing right. and, and the early i mean honestly right. the, the one of the things i marveled at this time in watching it is the marvel dad yeah i so said it speak. i what said it there? the um the ease at which this movie sets up its premise at the beginning because it could mm. it's that's risky right like you're like why am i watching this but because it's <laughs> because it's funny and because it moves along really well and it's i think i would say stylishly directed as it's pushing us along we get this whole download of their relationship he goes to their office he, they introduce the guys you know because because he brings them there in his van he tells a little story while they're driving there past the golden gate bridge which doesn't make any sense geographically but it's fine <laughs> and um and so you get to know them and that's super important for later um, but the, it's also done where it's funny. You don't feel like you're just getting a download and he gets fired from right. Baskin Robbins and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and he comes back and he's sad and, and, and they're, they're in there and they want him to do the job and he resists and then he, he caves, right? That like all of that, uh, gets to establish those relationships. Plus it also leads to the first of those chain storytelling things, which is such a great stylish flourish in this movie where Michael Pena narrates the whole chain of events that led to the moment <laughs> oh, and we God, see it all in flashback. 
that. with him overdubbing the people they're moving with his voice as they tell and the story. And then he was so like, it's not yo! Quite, yeah. yeah, so it's not quite real. It's great. It's so great. They're moving with, with his, his motions, his too. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's not, it's not yes. a real oh. flashback. It is his right. story of what he did very yes. rapidly as the camera. And the camera gets super horizontal in those moments. It's doing all these <laughs> crazy like loops and stuff. To, yes. And you know you're not in the regular part of the movie, which is, it's just so well done. And yeah. it's so funny. So well done across the board. Yes. All right, we'll get back to Ant-Man in a moment. But first, let me tell you about... Our sponsor, it's Pingdom, the company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. Now, that may seem unfamiliar, but I assure you, you're more familiar with Pingdom than you might think because they are the company that's helping keep your favorite websites alive and functional on an ongoing 24-7 basis. Sites like Evernote and BuzzFeed and Netflix. If you've used Netflix, they're a little bit popular. If you used any of these sites recently and not had a problem. Have you not noticed a problem? It may be Pingdom that is to thank for that. Websites are very sophisticated these days. They have lots of different moving parts, contact forms, check-in, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality. The list goes on. Pingdom checks the availability of all the different functions of a website. It's not just about getting a message when the homepage goes down. They care about the important interactions people are having on all parts of your site, and they'll let you know if they're not working. If people can't check out, that means they can't buy your stuff. And that's important, even if the homepage keeps loading. Now, it's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor. They will take care of the rest. Here's what you do. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell, my last name, right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, you can use my last name again, Snell, at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom, for supporting the incomparable, keeping all the websites like Netflix and Evernote and BuzzFeed up and running. Uh, you know, every time I, I think about this movie, I, I forget like that the climactic moment is that series of, again, it's undercutting the thing, the series of gags where things get bigger or smaller, the giant right. ant um is right. also yes. really great that's crawling yes. around like at the whole end of the movie it never really gets shrunk back down it's still out there <laughs> um all of that stuff uh is so great that it ends up at uh his daughter's house scott's daughter's house um and so there's some jeopardy there but that also allows that there to be kind of an emotional moment um what do pe- what do people think about how evangeline Lilly is used in this because i mean it is i've i've definitely heard criticism that the the movie does as i mentioned earlier kind of put a put a lantern on which is you know by all rights she should be the one doing this and so we have instead hank saying no 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 i can't because you're my daughter and i don't want to lose you like you lost your mother um you know so but she does have a sizable role and uh, obviously i think everybody liked her to the point where she is uh much more at the core of the sequel but uh, you know how how about how she's handled here i liked her and i thought at least and and maybe this is also just a credit to michael douglas that Mm. um i went with it that i i can't do that to my child you know i already like yeah in a way like indirectly i did it to my wife i can't do it to you too you're all the family i have left you know if I had a choice, I wouldn't put you in a suit. I would put you in a bubble because I want to make sure nothing happens to you because I want you to be yeah. okay because you're my kid. Like, again, a very disney sentiment. Right. It's filling a plot hole, but it's also creating a character moment. Right. And, right. and but also I think um, that in this movie, like, you know, at the time, I don't know how invested they were in a sequel or anything like that. I think not. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> which is which is why I really in like I I almost give it retroactive credit because it sets up the moment where he finally says, "Okay, like I've evolved as a human being, you know, like my views on this have changed. I feel like, you know, like you're an adult and I'm trying to see you that way and I'm trying to give you, you know, opportunities. And if this is really what you want to do, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And that evolution for him automatically makes Hank a super duper interesting character on top of the other stuff because like they were always a team. And so that like that dynamic evolving in the next film was something else that i thought was was pretty great to get to see like and it's a thing where i almost feel like you have to have the second one because it definitely once you view the the two of them of as as two films of a piece you know um it really that character arc is super interesting for him and then it's also super interesting for her because she sort of starts to understand the responsibility and yeah i almost did die just there and whoa and you know everybody's kind of going through their own processing of that in the second film and it's really really interesting to watch and there's 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 a lot of development of that because there's not a lot of you know not now honey gotta save the world right you know right the um my, and michael douglas i i mean we we mentioned when we talked about um uh, Winter Soldier that you bring in Robert Redford and you get this level you you know you get you know you're watching Robert Redford and you get this level of gravitas right. that is it, it it helps weigh down kind of some of the w- wackier things that happen in these movies Michael Douglas playing a, a a much larger part than Robert Redford um and gets de-aged in the beginning and what I think is actually a pretty credible I mean you can kind of tell because you know yeah. who, who could tell if somebody who has no idea who Michael Douglas is whether that was an effect or not I will tell you them for right. the second movie uh, Michelle Pfeiffer gets that technique and my son who was with us was not aware that that was a de-aging uh, effect right. right like so I think that, but even in this one it's like I really enjoy it we know what Michael Douglas looked like back then and he looks pretty much like that it's a pretty pretty good deal and then he manages to weigh down the rest of the movie with that gravitas like Hank Pym is funny he's also kind of a jerk you understand why he's kind of gotten where he is there's that <laughs> moment where where uh, it's very clear it's like uh, you know that you, you boy it sounds like you Hank, right? Like, uh, uh, you can't be with his daughter and has pushed everybody away and is kind of a mm-hmm. failure. And it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. And I just, I love him in this movie. I, I love the oh, lightness. Yeah. I love the seriousness. Yeah. Uh, what, what a coup to get him. And it's just a delightful little performance. He doesn't feel like he's mailing it in at any point. I'm not quite as taken with, I'm not quite as taken with him. Um, I guess, uh, he doesn't really come alive to me until, Luis's crew comes in and he's just rolling <laughs> his eyes and pissed off. Because <laughs> oh yes, that's, oh, that's pissed off. Michael Douglas is the best. Michael Douglas, exactly, exactly. Oh, yes. Up until that point, he feels more like old man yelling at cloud. Michael Douglas, well, yeah. <laughs> and that just didn't do it for me because there wasn't. Uh, he was, See, he, I love he, that. I found it just grouchy. It's very, not it's very un- unpleasant person to be around. I, right. I, I kind of love that he's he's that because it's like literally like right. this is a man who's put he's brilliant and he's pushed everybody away, and he would yeah. really rather not be a friend of yours. Yeah, on, salty Michael on, Douglas on, is the finest Michael Douglas. That's all I'm mm. saying. Before on we get too far side, away though, from the de aging, though. Um, I just want to say, you know, having seen what they did with Robert Downey Jr. in the one movie, uh, I guess that was Winter Soldier, and yeah, and, yeah. and watching Civil it going. War. It's okay. You know, they did a good job with it. When, when this, you know, when he walks in in the beginning of this as de-aged Michael Douglas, I gasped. And and most of the adults in the room gasped. (laughs) And, and the kids were like, what the hell? Like, like my 10 year old thought they had put makeup on him to make him look old. 
And I said, yeah. no, no, right. no, 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 no. That's him now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I was, think that in was some, impressive. In certain cases when they de-age people, I think they have it. I think in some cases they have a lot more to go on. So like right. they have right. Michael Douglas from that era on yeah, we've film seen them as yeah, a reference. They've got references. Exactly. Stone. Same, yeah. same with, so, my, with, uh, with uh, Robert Downey Jr., right? Where they had right. they so right. and Michelle Pfeiffer. In the well, I, it right. wasn't, I mean, it was weird to me because I know what he looks like now, right. or at least yes. I have a close <laughs> exactly. amalgamation of what right. he looks like now. But right. they did, much like uh, Robert Downey Jr., RDJ for his friends, um, <laughs> they, you know, they really honed in on what he used to look like. So right. as an adult, I know that's not him to Today, right. but I also recognize him immediately from films that I had seen before. Yeah, that's like and Wall I think, Street Michael Douglas. Yes, that we that's right, Wall right, Street exactly, Michael Douglas. Exactly. <laughs> right. and, and it was less than you know, zero. So, so, so Manson the Stone Michael yes. Douglas. Yeah. Um, right. So, oh, <laughs> so yes. but like what it also illustrates is how far Disney has come. Uh, with that technology, mm, because yeah. think about Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy, right? Oh, right. Um, God. Where, it, where it do I have to look like there was a mask? <laughs> yeah, the, well, this know, is on, it, on the technology has space. kept improving. I think it's Lola does these effects. I believe if Joe Steele uh, has told me this, so I hope I'm getting it right. That, that they're like the expert in this kind of stuff, and they do it for all the Marvel movies. And that tech obviously keeps getting better because, and we're going to need to pivot to Ant Man and the Wasp. But there's much more of it in Ant Man and the Wasp, and I think it's even better even though i think it's pretty good in ant-man it's flawless i think in ant-man and the wasp where that that michelle pfeiffer in ant-man and the wasp i'm like oh my god like that is that is michelle pfeiffer from the late 80s batman returns Uh, apparently in captain marvel by the way i'll just throw this out there they are de-aging samuel l jackson and uh clark gregg for the entire movie Oh, oh my wow. goodness! Because they they're yeah. that confident. They're because it's set in the '90s. They're that confident yeah. that they can do it. That they're gonna they're <gasps> gonna de-age two characters for the entire run of the film. So, but Sam Jackson looks exactly the same. Let's so so Ant Man. Before we'll, we'll we'll turn the page and we'll move on to Ant Man and the Wasp. Any mm. last thoughts about Ant Man the original? Other than like I said, you know, I was delighted yet again. But if anybody has anything they would like to say before we move on, now's the time. I hope that. Uh, Everyone got a chance to see it in 3D mm. um, because it is one of those films that benefited from 3D. Uh, that was a MacGuffin for anyone who's <laughs> listening to the podcast. I, I want to go back to Evangeline Lilly uh, a little bit. I yep. heard a lot of criticism of Hope uh, as a character in this movie as you know, I, I had the sort of the flip side reaction that uh, you did, Jason. Um, you know, you I, I was cooler on um, Michael Douglas than you were. Um, on the flip side, I really, really loved Hope Van Dyne in this movie uh, for capability. We don't get uh, uh, we get the kiss at the end. But other than that, you know, there's not a whole lot of romantic subtext to this uh, story. It's. It's capable mm. person demonstrating her heroism uh, to, throughout. To somewhat incapable yes. person in, our, in the right. name of yes. Scott. Yeah. Well, it, literally exactly. training him. Yes. Exactly. Training him to so, fight, punching him in the face. I'm with you on that. Like, I liked Hope a lot more than I really thought I would. And part yeah. of that was was Evangeline Lilly's performance. Yeah. I saw a lot of criticism out there that, sit, that called her performance joyless. 
and I just saw it as pro- no. I, I just saw it as professional and capable. <laughs> no, I, and I, 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 she's focused. She's she is a well, competent. She's, also, she's capable. also pissed off at her dad because her dad she has, has withheld him from. Yeah, with his yes, she is out of f's to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. for, That's for what reasons, that performance is. As we it's learn, not joyless. It's just up to here. Yeah, as we until that last moment where where it does redeem P- Hank when he re- reveals what happens to the mom. But like up to that that point, she's got all the cards. Like she has, she's only come back to him and and kind of like mended their relationship because she's seen just what cross is going to do but she she's the one on the board who like voted cross in but it's only Mm -hmm. now that she realizes he's a madman he's gone too far that she comes back to her father that all happens before the movie starts but it's very clear like so and she's got she's got lots of good reasons so no i i like her performance i think my my issue with it is that you have that moment where like why is she not and then the movie says this is why not because hank pym won't let her yeah do it it's not because she's not qualified she's she's so much more qualified than scott that's kind of the point here is that she has to teach him because she's not being allowed by her father to actually just be the hero here you Mm -hmm. get to that mid-credits sequence and you get the reveal of the wasp suit being built and you get her saying it's about time and it's totally earned (laughs) as a result of everything that happened in the movie that may be my favorite mid-credits sequence in any marvel movie because it is such an important moment in ant-man and it comes after that first blob of credits but it's so important to get hope and hank that final moment together it's great Mm -hmm. and you know i almost kind of wonder how many people criticizing it and criticizing her and the character arc walked out before that moment Mm, that's possible they didn't get that moment it's possible Mm -hmm. i beg your attention please we have one more sponsor in this episode of the incomparable and it's a good one it's sane box now I would wager almost everybody listening to this show has something they don't like about email as a genre. Yeah, that's actually a pretty safe bet. That's why you need to try SaneBox. It would be really nice to just delete all your email, start again. I have 500 unread messages right now in my inbox. I'm not kidding. I do. It's There's a little symbol on my uh, dock on my Mac, and it says 500. Uh, <laughs> there's important stuff in that email, though, that I need to deal with. One of the problems is all email looks the same. At a glance, it can be very difficult to decipher which messages need your attention basically doing some email triage wouldn't it be nice if somebody did it for you before it even hits your inbox that is what SaneBox is all about. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages that remain in your inbox are the ones you need. If you're somebody like me who uses the inbox as a to-do list, this is great. It will clear all the garbage out, and the inbox will become stuff that is high priority, things you actually need to deal with. And the great thing is, it's compatible with pretty much everything. Whatever app you're using, whatever server you're using, it will work. One of the best features of SaneBox is something called the black hole. If you get an email from someone, uh, a spammer, a person who's sending you awful email, whatever it is, you throw that email in the black hole folder and you'll never hear from them again. SaneBox will just get that out of your site forever. You can set up email reminders. You can snooze your email. There's so much more. Simplify your email with SaneBox. And to help you get a little more organization in your inbox we've worked with SaneBox to get you a great deal go to sanebox.com slash snell today you'll get a two-week free trial 
and an extra $25 credit just because you listen to The Incomparable. You don't have to enter in your credit card information unless you decide to buy. So there's really nothing to lose. Try it out today. Get your email finally under control. Again, that's SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash S-N-E-L-L. Thank you to SaneBox for sponsoring The Incomparable. Let's move on to 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, in which uh, we see, first off, we see more of the uh, the flashback that we see in Ant-Man, this time because we've cast Janet Van Dyne, um, and, <laughs> and and it is Michelle Pfeiffer, and she she's the one who disappears, and so Hope thinks that Janet is, her mom is uh, is dead in a plane crash, which, as we know from the first movie, isn't, uh, isn't true. So Scott... Uh, is under house arrest because of Avengers shenanigans and getting in a fight on an airport runway in in Germany, um, and he's uh, and and, and, and so they're kind of estranged, which is I felt sad in a way, right? Because it's like, oh, but there are they're my friends, and this is an Ant Man movie. Why are they not together? But like, I, I understand why the movie wants to kind of like work to bring them together and have them earn their trust a little bit. Scott does kind of work better when he's trying to redeem himself and and. Yeah. and mm-hmm. And, and so that that's what this movie puts him in is a similar kind of situation, although under house arrest. So there are many funny jokes involving putting an ant in his place and <laughs> what and like trying to not go to, you know, one step outside the door. Um, Bobby Cannavale in this movie, by the way, is yes. suddenly like it's so funny because now now it's not like he's the grumpy cop who hates scott and is trying to undermine him in this movie it's very much like nope this is scott's family scott's family is his ex-wife and her new husband and the their daughter and they're all like a a non-standard nuclear family but they all kind of love each other now which is like i like that it's weird because they're like they just leaned into it it's like sure bobby cannavale's not a bad guy he's part of the he's part of the the gang now and and so we get scenes with them and yeah See, I think the thing for me is that that's not weird. Like, I know a number, Mm. like, in my life, I've known loads of people who have, like, that kind of family where, yeah, we split up, but everybody gets along. But Bobby Cannavale is is, uh, trying to stop Scott and ruin the movie in the first movie, right? He's he's an antagonist. And then in the second movie, they're like, nope, he's not. I (laughs) I could have used that flashback at the beginning of the second movie. Yep. Um, But, yeah, I mean, and granted, none of these people have family members who were Bobby Cannavale, but um, it was nice. Speak to, for yourself. Well, I, <laughs> I wish, um, but it was it was. I really liked that relationship because it is weird. It's not you know your air quote standard family, and it works for everybody. And that was you know a, a thing that I took from this one that I I really really like. Yeah, it's delightful. They don't they, just because of all of that doesn't mean that they can't form actual like human uh, bonds which mm-hmm. is is what right. this movie says is like yes this they are they are all there's no weird antagonistic relationship necessary here they they it all works out plus i like it when Bob, bobby cannavale is not a smiling guy who is revealed to be horrible and is going to do horrible right. things to you i prefer right. just pure smiling cannavale he's a good guy who is just a good guy I like the fact that, you know, we get, we, we don't need tons of exposition. We don't need to know what's happened in the last two years, but we understand from the way they're acting together now that they've all gotten to know one another and they've gotten to accept the fact that, yeah, they are all kind of good people and, and they're, you know, in their own way and, and that he's totally come around. I thought that was great. I didn't mm-hmm. need all this extra detail. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of economy of storytelling in this, which I appreciate. Me too. 
Yeah, a lot of rock band too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, well, that was one of my favorite moments. Was just you know Hank looking at the the video of the the ant playing the drums and going, <laughs> "What are you, fifteen years old?" <laughs> just just a throwaway line. I love that. The trailer gave away f- so many moments in this movie. And yes. it needed yeah. to do that for the original Ant-Man. You know, this movie would not have been a success at all if they hadn't included Thomas the Tank Engine uh, having its little bitty bump at the at, at the end in mm-hmm. that trailer. This movie gives away kind of a whole lot of moments. Uh, and I did uh, I, I did kind of resent the, the trailer for this one. I agree, except that I think especially after Infinity War... I was in a couple of movie yes. theaters that oh. saw this Ant-Man trailer and laughed and laughed. And I think it really did by by giving away that, yes, a Hello Kitty Pez dispenser is going to be enlarged in the middle of a car chase in San Francisco. And uh, everybody lost it. And I thought, you know, that was a good like, oh, yeah, Ant-Man, right. It's funny. And there's lots of wacky gags about size. Oh, we should go see that instead of like, oh, grim Marvel movie. Right. So I agree. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I agree that, that it, you lose the impact in seeing it in the full media blackout is probably the way to go. But I get why they did it just because it's like a reminder of like, hey, remember Ant-Man? Well, <laughs> and so so not to jump ahead totally, but, you know, I'm, I'm watching this having seen Infinity War and thinking, OK, how are we tying this in, especially when it starts present day right at the very beginning of the movie yeah and now the 13 year old who is now 13 has not seen infinity war my kids don't care about most marvel movies they just they like the fun ones uh but the whole grand scheme storytelling thing they could care less and so i was waiting for the shoe to drop and when it does finally drop it's the perfect moment i knew as soon as that moment happened i was like i know where this is going and he turns to me and goes what just happened What's that? <laughs> yes. And so on, you know, in the car afterwards, it was like, okay, here's what happens in Infinity War, because I know you're not going to watch it. I believe um, I, in the Infinity War <laughs> episode that we did, I correctly predicted that this was what they were going to do, right? Which is you should put yeah, it right. at the end of the movie, right? Uh, because yep. you got to make a movie and the mo- yeah. th- th- that just is going to be in the way. And so you just use it, it as a makes teaser. For a great, it makes for a great cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, my theater was like, <gasps> right? right? Yep. Right? Mine too. Um, I think. But I yeah, think you, they, you I think totally a, a few of them had pretty much forgotten that Infinity War existed <laughs> because they were having so much fun. Right. Right. But you totally needed to have this spoiled enough to say this is a funny movie. You're not going to be depressed. Not everybody is dead yet. Right. Yeah. Even though yeah, we know everyone's coming <laughs> back. But yeah. But still, yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention. Yeah. So the antagonist, instead of Bobby, Bobby Cannavale, and um, and that was the guy. Um, it was like Elon Barksdale from The Wire is also in, in one of the cops, I right. believe. In in. Uh, the, yes. the, in the first yeah, one the i was like one. wow yeah. okay um the um in this one it's jimmy woo who yes. um randall park yeah and 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 uh, very funny performance um uh, i will say getting um getting some more asian representation in a movie set in san francisco smart idea and right. a little <laughs> comic book note if you haven't read agents of atlas you should it's really funny, and it's all about um, kind of giant monsters and a team that fights them. And Jimmy Woo is the uh, is the main character in that. Oh, um, nice! It's a yeah. Their whole relationship was was just, and the dialogue and the overlapping back and forth. And, you know, it's like here's the tough guy, and then uh, oh, 
well, maybe you do want to go to dinner. Yeah. No, right. no, that's okay. Or, you know, how do you, how do you do the magic trick? You know, just those, oh, those were delightful. In a weird way, it was the same dynamic that we got with Luis and his friends and Scott, which is I'm walking into the middle of a relationship that has been going on for a really long time. Right. Two years. Yeah. The boys don't care about Marvel movies and they actually have not cared about movies, period, in, you know, the longest time. And as soon and I said, do you want to see Ant-Man and the Wasp? No, no. But you came and saw the first one. No, no, no. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, come on. And as soon as the 13-year-old saw the Pez dispenser, boom, let's go see that. Yeah. Because again, <laughs> we're, we're not taking ourselves too seriously here. We can do this. Right. And it's going to be the... Um, now he's hooked. Now he's like, let's go to more. Oh, let's, interesting. Where's more movies? I should mention so some other things about structurally what goes on here. The bad guy in this movie, you know, this is a weird plot synopsis, but the bad guy in this movie is, a, is basically um, a, a, a guy who's trying to buy black market arms um and and it's not really right the cops uh, then the there is also a a uh, nemesis who is ghost who right. is revealed is yeah. a woman who is unstable and her molecules are going to explode or something unless she can find a cure which is you know it's super processed and and engineered to be uh, to to make her like need exactly what they need in order to go look for Michelle Pfeiffer in the quantum realm and you know it th- that's one of my least favorite parts of the story construction because it's so very definitely like we just need to put some impediments in the way here but mm, one of the things right, I really do right. like is that they go see Lawrence Fishburne who is yet another person estranged from Hank Pym oh. and, right. and and th- that's a great moment where he gets to be kind of like snarky but also then helpful but then also uh, also snarky again. And then it's revealed that he's actually uh, taking care of Ghost, who is falling apart and trying to find a cure. And uh, and she is willing to do more kind of dangerous things than he is, that he has limits to what he's going to be able to do. And so that's that's sort of the the kind of real antagonist plot wise, but also in the background causing lots of trouble is this black market arms dealer. So that, mm-hmm. those are your those are your bad guys in this. Yeah. And I, I, I felt like that is the one portion of this film that kind of fell apart was, was the fact that there wasn't a, a big bad, uh, you know, a, the bad guy revealed until much, much later in the film. And, and, um, it, it didn't serve. It wasn't that it, it served to kind of misdirect the audience a little. Um, but I think the, it was just, uh, a like the fact that they had these kind of uh false false nemesis and, yeah. and false big bads in in Lawrence Fishburne and and then Ghost uh really kind of showed that they didn't have an idea of what the what the bad guys motives really were going to be it wasn't going to be mm. big enough and grand enough for an entire film you're totally right i mean in the end in the end the only big bad you've got if you can call him that, is Sonny Birch, you know, Walter, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, uh, yep. Yeah, I mean. Um, <laughs> Who was delightful. Doing his he thing. Was, he was fantastic. Doing his thing. Do, he's fantastic. But he's not your antagonist of the movie. He's right. just this, he's just this low-level criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost takes the supervillain role, except that she's conflicted and she ultimately needs to be rescuing. And at the end, there's there's something of a redemption arc for both her and bill foster uh sort of or at least the hope of that in the yeah. end the only bad guy is the low-level thug is walton goggins and yeah. i do think that and you know 
Ant, the Ant-Man movies do not rely on heavies. Um, right. e- even Darren Cross is the heaviest of the heavies, but he's not the reason that the movie works. Um, the lack of villains doesn't hurt this doesn't hurt ant-man and the wasp much either you you still get what you came for which is a load of fun yeah i guess Mm. i I agree i think my problem with the ghost storyline is i i think it's interesting that she's suffering from the same kind of thing that is sort of like it's like uh hank pym's research gone a little wrong again in this way filtered through uh lawrence fishburne for through bill foster um what um bothers me about it is that it's one of these it's one of these miscommunication misunderstanding storylines right, where like right. if everybody would stop and just say here's what i need um mm-hmm. right. the, there would be no right. tension it would be like we're gonna go get her and then we're gonna cure you and it's all okay but instead it's like no what if you don't and i might dissolve before then so i must stop you and she must die so that i live and it's like but you know that that was my frustration is that it's one of those things where it's so artificially constructed where if anybody just would slow down for a minute this could all be mm-hmm. reasoned out but it can't be because they need to have a dramatic conflict well i, I kind of didn't mind that and I, I kind of didn't mind not having a big bad because we always have that. a big bad in yeah. these yeah. movies. We always yeah. do. And, and I think that was also very intentional because of all of the uh, talk of misdirection, right? All throughout magic tricks. Look yep. over here. This I snap over here and you're looking over here and that that's all very intentional. Um, so I like the fact that we assume this is the big bad and then she kind of goes back and forth and. They think she's a big bad for the longest time. And then finally is like, no, we, we actually do need to save her. Yeah. Like at the end when he says, you know, our, apparently our ghost friend who needs help now. Um, right. <laughs> I liked that. And I liked the fact that the only true big bad is actually this really sleazy kind of not all that competent bad guy. Correct. Yeah. Oh, you know, yes. that's I that. wonderful. Yeah. So I, I, um, uh, MacGuffin time. So I saw this movie with my 10 <laughs> year old nephew, uh, in IMAX 3D and, Ooh. uh, it was phenomenal. Um, this, this movie just, you know, because 3D works best when you get to see perspectives and, yep. you know, no place better to see perspectives than in a movie where things are shrink- shrinking and growing at an alarming rate. Uh, <laughs> so every time that happened, uh, especially on, on this giant screen, it just, it just blew you away. Um, you, you know, you really got to see the effect and it, and it really immersed you into the story. Uh, so like, I think that if I had seen it in 2D, I may have been a little bit more, um, perturbed by the fact that there really wasn't a big bad. And I, I do understand fundamentally that it, this was the type of film that didn't need it. But the fact that I was so immersed in everything that was going on and was such a spectacle, um, it, right. it never, you know, I never minded it in, in one second. Right. Like even even the idea that, you know, if we just slow down and talk, normally that drives me crazy. I hate movies usually where it's like if everyone just sat down for a second and talked, the movie is done. I didn't even notice in this one because it was just such frothy fun. And because there was enough of a, you know, we have to be on the run, right? Mm-hmm. We can't stop and sit down because they're going to catch us. And I thought, I thought that was all right. all right. That was all right. I think I prefer Ant-Man to this movie, even though um, the Wasp kicks ass. And, right. uh, and mm. I think that she is just a phenomenal 
uh, upgrade to the to the film. So, but yes, yes, I'm, amen. But I mm-hmm. I'm I made a mistake. I'm usually pretty good at being able to take the re- take the reviews and sort of put them aside. If I see a review ahead of seeing the movie, I can usually put it aside. Um, but I made the mistake of listening to pop culture happy hours review of this movie before going to see it and they don't they didn't spoil anything for me but the consensus around the table there was that it was almost as good as ant-man but you could see that they were working hard to try to recapture what something that had organically happened in the first movie yeah and I do see that uh, Luis's uh, Luis's monologue at the at the at the end. Yeah, it, it's nowhere near as organic as the stuff that happens in the first movie. Um, you know, we ha- we have lots yeah. of gags. We have lots of gags, size gags with uh, Scott's suit. Um, we, there are lots of size changing uh, gags in the combat, and it. And I think that this movie is technically a lot better in terms of effects and style than the first there, one. There's new stuff, but there are also there are also those moments where they're playing the greatest hits, and you could feel exactly. It, and I like right. I like those songs, right. but I've heard them before, right? So they don't have the impact. Yeah. The places where like I'm, I'm going to, even though it happened in in Civil War, I'm going to say, you know, what this movie gets to do is really explore. Also, he can get big, which is great. Right. Yes. And he falls in the water right. and all of that. And I really enjoyed that. The building it was in the trailer. It gave, they gave it away. But the building kills me that they shrink yes. down mm-hmm. the headquarters. It's a suitcase. It's got a little right. handle yes. at the end. If you notice bag. at the end when they make it big, the handle is up. So there's yep. this yes. huge like suitcase yep. handle yes. into the sky. <laughs> it's right. so good. Like so those are yeah. the new bits. And also the quantum realm stuff is really new. But you're right. you're absolutely right. And their review is absolutely right. There is an aspect of this that is uh, it's a sequel. So they got to play the hits. So they do. And they're and they're good, but we've we've seen those tricks before. I think Guardians Volume Two and Ant Man and the Wasp sort of have a parallel there. You've got the same director. You've got the same director of the first one and the second one. Mm-hmm. You've discovered what worked naturally in the first one, and you go there. You try to make it better, but you're trying. Hmm. Yeah. Except I I don't think Guardians Two worked. I did not. No, I was I don't not think- engaged at all through it. Whereas mm. this, I was still fully engaged. I didn't mind the greatest hits. I, as things like you know, Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen, I was bored with them because Ocean's Eleven is so good. And this, I was, I was with it. I didn't mind the greatest hits. I didn't think they did it too much. I thought it was just a, a nice balance. Um, as car chases go, it's it's not bullet. But you know, but it's, not, it's not it's not it's not what's up, Doc. But it's like the third best car chase in San Francisco. I guarantee you, there was a movie, uh, there was a meeting for this movie where they said, "Okay, we did a heist last time. You know what? What are we going to do this time?" And they said, "You know what? We got the San Francisco location. We're going to do the craziest San Francisco car chase you could imagine, and it's oh, yeah. it's pretty good. Like it is a very oh, it's really good, very for good sure. car chase, right? Yeah. Like I I love yeah. that, and I, I you know I get bored at car chases too. It's like you know how many." But it's like, well, not like this one. This one is not like any. Right. They're getting bigger. They're getting smaller. This one has there's a point. Right. There's a point where I'm, I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, they're doing, they're going to do Lombard Street," and I had to convince my son that that was actually a real street in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I've driven it. I've yeah. driven it, son. 
And it's like, no, that's that's a movie. Yeah, and, and they took the they took the the um, tank on a keychain gag from the first movie, and in this, there's the yes. Hot Wheels box full of cars, right? And so right. that's so good. That's that made great. me so happy that he's like looking through his files of like. Now I assume in the background, I'm like, no, did Hank Pym buy these cars, or did he just go shrink them off a lot somewhere and then put them away? <laughs> I'm not quite yeah. sure. I believe that he actually bought all these cars, but it's great that he or the tank for that matter. But it's great that they've got them and that they can just kind of dole them out. And it's movie logic where it's like, wh- I'm now, you know like i've accepted the fact that he's got a little tiny toy case that's full of actual cars it's just look in the hot wheels case that got a huge laugh yes but whatever you do don't look in the altoid 10 right right (laughs) that's chekhov's altoid 10 what could be in there i said that i said that in the theater yeah. I knew it was going to be something. I didn't know what. So the climax of this movie, they actually end up um, the uh, or, or right right before the climax. The the um, they the building, <laughs> the suitcase building at one point is in um, Muir Woods, which is actually like a couple miles from my house, which is kind of fun. And I had that moment where I thought, where where are they that they're surrounded by woods? I said, oh well, if I were if I were Hank Pym and I had a building that was the size of a suitcase <laughs> that I need to embiggen so that I could go in it, I would go someplace out in the middle and nowhere and in the woods and embiggen it and they do and it's that i just i, in, I, I couldn't get giant enough, redwoods yeah i couldn't get enough of the building that you because really if you could do that why what? not why not make your building yeah. with wheels Absolutely. so you can roll it away <laughs> just go to any vacant lot will do for the day and then you roll it back in your car at the end of the day what i want to know is the architect going why why do you want this here this Mr. giant Pim? handle what is what is the <laughs> handle how does that go up and why does it go up wheels why do we need wheels, wheels? Uh, it's a building. Well, that's just a genius, trust me. That's the genius of it. He didn't need the architect. He shrinks it. Then he adds the handle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was thinking, you actually, you start with a really big suitcase, and then you just say, um, can you retrofit my suitcase to be a building? <laughs> to be a building. <laughs> but this is the absurdity of, of Ant-Man that actually is what, yes. what makes yes. it so much fun, is that it is, right. it is absurd right. like this. It just makes me smile. Everything in it makes me smile. I want Marvel now to team up with the How It's Made people and write a big fat check (laughs) and just do a bunch of How It's Made's for stuff like this building and a Quinjet and on and on and on because like a bunch of those... Yeah. I like I like the idea, Kel- Kelly. By the way, I like your enthusiasm for this because it says to me something like, "I know Hank Pym created technology that lets you shrink and get huge and go to the quantum realm." But you know what his most fascinating invention was? It was the suitcase building. It was the suitcase <laughs> right. building, right? Yeah. And then they would tell you about it, then, and then it would was, be super. And fun. then we would know. We would know the answer then. And this this is really silly. I hope there's a, a special feature on the on the Blu-ray that. That shows them making the special models for the, the credits at the end. I thought right. that was oh. some beautiful work as someone who, you know, grew up with a model railroader. Yeah, that was That's that was beautiful stuff. That was that was a great theme of for the credits. Yeah. That is one of my favorite credit sequences in a Marvel. So film. let's talk about the one thing that I, I think we haven't talked about that I want to I want to talk about a little bit is the depiction of the quantum realm, which is an interesting part of the movie where I felt like again this is mm-hmm. Peyton Reed saying let's embrace and do something new. Let's embrace this concept that was introduced in the first movie. What happens if you shrink down below a certain point and it's sort of like outside the bounds of time and space? And so they've got a little pod that they send Hank in to get his wife who is trapped in the quantum realm, and he goes through all these various points where he's like you know with the tardigrades in a drop of water, yes. and then he gets 
gets even smaller and there's like light and color and it's kind of like this weird thing that is like be, doesn't follow any of the laws of physics that we would understand and I, I, I imagine Cicero that in 3D it was even more spectacular but like it, 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 mm. it really but was. it looks so good and I like the fact that the movie was bold enough to be like I'm going to take the time to show you this super weird place because when is a movie ever going to do this like what would it be like if you were subatomic how would that even make sense and this movie mm-hmm. kind of embraces that yeah. i think i think it's a fun weird part of the movie it's a little 2001 in a in a pop culture right. sense but yeah. i think that was the yeah, right, right i think that's the right call to make it weird and and yeah. kind of trippy oh, yeah. yeah when marvel leans into the kirby and ditko stuff as they did here and in doctor strange for ditko mm-hmm. stuff right. you know it mm-hmm. really really oh. works in the movies and you know uh tangent there uh, Kirby drew the two th- the 2001 Space Odyssey comic, so right. it all comes full circle. Right. Right? Machine Man. <laughs> I loved so much, and I got I did get a Doctor Strange kind of vibe from the Quantum Realm, right? Just mm-hmm. in the off balanceness of it, and the oddness of it, and the sort of not feeling completely anchored, and like I had an idea what was going on, and you know it was very clear that like whatever I thought rules were about how things operate in the world like all those rules are off the table in this particular space so i got a little bit of that like you know what was in my cherry coke you know like what you know like <laughs> right. i did watching doctor strange to me it was it was super great and and i think what made it great was jason like you're saying taking the time and yeah. And built and, you know, building air quotes, you know, um, a world that shows like there aren't really any rules in it. And this is what you do. And part of that, I think, came from sort of seeing that Scott was still suffering aftermath from having been there, even though it was just for a minute. Right. And so, like, we know that this has, like, messed with him on a fundamental level. You know, a thing I always say is on a molecular level. Like I loved that movie on a molecular level. <laughs> subatomic Literally, level now. On a subatomic level, um, he really enjoyed. You know, he he really he went there and it messed with him. And you know, we see like little glimpses of that. But then getting to see the world, like you kind of go back to the beginning and you're like, oh, that makes sense. I totally get why he like why he's in this weird headspace about that. And I felt like it tied things together a lot. And so that was part of what I enjoyed about that particular sequence was the the very trippy off-centeredness of it. And it almost made me pay like more attention because I was trying to figure out what on earth was happening. Well, and just the thought of the quantum entanglements and the thought that Janet and Scott could share information or consciousness or whatever, however that worked. Oh. Um, I thought that was fascinating. And then in the moment where she suddenly just takes him over to type in all the calculations and that do all the stuff moment. to set that up. And they're all holding hands. And then, and then he comes back to him and he's like, well, didn't feel anything. Why are you holding your hand? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's right? happening. And, yeah. and I, I have to wonder knowing some of Reed's other stuff how familiar he is with uh, the work of Thorn Smith because that was a very Thorn Smith moment and concept and just the, the trading bodies and the the slightly weird sexual um, uh, sexual tension between two people who have none otherwise right it's like oh and suddenly it's your wife I'm not I, I'm not familiar with all that book learning that you have there David <laughs> but I think it's called, um, I think it's book learning but learning but, uh, but I thought Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd played that 
perfectly. He oh, clearly yeah. had been working with with yeah. Mike, with Michelle Pfeiffer on that. And I had to compare that to the end of X Men Two when um, when uh, Patrick Stewart has to invoke Famke Jansen. Um, oh God! And and it's it's just sort of night and day. I remember the audience for X Men Two just sort of laughing right at mm-hmm. the at the attempt at uh, pathos uh, between Cyclops <laughs> and Phoenix in Professor X's body. And yep. I didn't get any of that from the audience at this moment, no. partially because of the light touch that the director used, partially it was yep. the excellence of Paul Rudd's performance, and then. They have the hand. They have the gag at the end when it's all over. Uh, I felt like mm-hmm. the the audience just stepped right along with it. My nephew and I both had the same question after we we watched uh, Janet Van Dyne be be found in the quantum realm, and she was you know she was back, and the danger was over, and we watched you know at the end of the movie. What did she eat? Yeah. Okay. I so was thinking that too. I, I was Where did she that live? Too, and I read I read an interview with Peyton Reed where they said what was the deal and and he said something interesting which he said he said well first we had a conversation which is when she comes back would she look like uh, 80s Michelle Pfeiffer and they mm-hmm. said I wondered they, that they too. said that feels too complicated because then you've got almost like a time travel thing where she's right. young and you know if it, only days have passed for her but her husband and her daughter have gotten older and right. and they're like we didn't want to get into that so then then they didn't seem to have a very good explanation other than to say it's a weird place and there's probably another story to tell and it seemed like they were very much punting it I will tell you that um, she's probably hanging out with the Micronauts so you knew I was gonna, yeah. gonna right. not get through this episode without making a reference to the Micronauts but like I, I think that was my head canon anyway was basically like there is life in that in the quantum realm in the microverse there is life sure. down there she had this whole other weird maybe she had a second family she ate a lot of tardigrades so that's what you're saying she may have been the queen of a whole subatomic species for all we know um, just hanging out waiting waiting for them to come back but I think in practicality it was like they just didn't want to get into the complexity of having time not have advanced for yeah. her so they just punted on that and they said somehow she's fine she's wandering you hank can only be there for a limited amount of time but uh <laughs> she was able to wander around there for 20 years and it was fine and 30, i really 30 30 again years, yeah. like paul rudd's <laughs> performance was just in that moment that's one of the moments that stands out to me is that one and um almost every moment between scott and cassie yeah yes his daughter yeah. oh they were delightful together Peanut was delightful in this movie, beginning to end. She was so, so great. And I felt like, um, not in the way that Michael Douglas does, but she gave this movie some serious grounding as mm-hmm. well by totally. sort of being this real life person, but also not being encumbered by all of the crap that gets, you know, beaten, beaten into you and, and, and accepted as fact as you get older. Cause she's still a kid. So she's like, yeah, you go be a superhero. Cause that's awesome. I think at the same time, though, she understood the gravity of what he was doing and was giving her tacit approval. Yes, absolutely. That, that, you know, right. what, being a right. hero kind of does supersede uh, these stupid laws. Right. Uh, right. Because right. that's what's most important. Right. But she's seeing that because she's not looking at all of the 
shoulds and sure. society and all of that stuff that like you know all of the grown-ups are like you can't just go do that this goes back to the first movie where she says to bobby cannavale hope you don't catch him right yes, <laughs> right. Right. yes. and right. i i love that streak of her because it also like you totally understand how that's his that's daughter. scott's daughter like, totally you absolutely yeah. understand yeah. that's precisely who she is i can't wait for them to make more because i want to see her in another few years when she's got a real smart mouth and a whole bunch of opinions she's gonna be amazing she may be my favorite marvel I, I, will, character. I will say from marvel comics um that that in marvel comics uh, and so I, I don't know if they ever have any plans to do this in the movies, but in the Marvel comics, uh, she grows up to be a superhero like her dad. Oh, I'm sure she does. I'm sure oh, she does. She, she absolutely does. does. Well, because you've got all this mirroring of, you know, here he is trying to maintain a relationship with his daughter. His wife is lost to him. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing. The next generation. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just his wife is married to the guy trying to get him instead of the quantum realm. Yep. Metaphorically lost to him as opposed to right. metaphysically lost, Ooh. I guess. So it, on a quantum but, level. Yes. <laughs> so do you just were... put quantum in front of everything? I quantum do, David. <laughs> <laughs> I quantum can't take this. I, 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 I would like to put micro in front of it, but unfortunately that yeah. license to that comic book was lost. <laughs> you know Jason's just gonna say quantum and then when any of us swear, that's gonna be the beep, right? Quantum. Uh, anything else about Ant-Man and the Wasp before we wrap it up uh, yeah, yeah I, let's go around and say like sort of how did everybody feel about this movie um, and maybe compared to compared to Ant-Man uh, Chip you you already sort of said that you liked it but not uh, quite at Ant-Man level right not quite at Ant-Man level um, but I I did complain about the story feeling a little overworked but I did like that they Gave just a little more push to Luis, Dave, and Kurt, and yep. I enjoyed that so much. David? I, I will agree that it does feel like five people wrote the screenplay, since five people at least were credited yeah. with it. Uh, but but I think I liked it at least as much as the first one. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. I just saw Mission Impossible Fallout, too, and really enjoyed it compared to the last one. But I thought that that tried too hard, right? It was too big. It did everything that the last one didn't do. And that's the, what I liked about the last one is that it surprised me. Whereas this did not feel like it was trying to outdo the first one or do something, uh, you know, just trying to top it. Um, I thought it was a nice evolution and it felt of a piece. So, so I really liked it. Sister, what about you? Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it not as much as the first one. I think because it wasn't as, uh, as a surprise. Yeah. Um, mm. but it, but it was a lot of fun. It was great going to see it with a 10 year old. <laughs> I think that is, you know, that is like their, their key core demographic yeah. for the, for these types That's of the films. That's the way to and, see it. I, I saw it with right. my 13 year old and it was like, that was a good way to see it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think that it again really shows us, uh, the, the breadth of diversity of, of Marvel films after all the really heavy films, uh, this, this year from Marvel, this was light and airy and it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was the Sherbert of, of Marvel <laughs> films for this year. Mm. And, ke- mm-hmm. and palate cleanser after Infinity War yeah. too. Uh, Kelly, <laughs> yeah. what about you? Well, I think I enjoyed it at least as much as the first one. Uh, I enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp in a slightly different way. Like you just said, Jason, um, with, because it came after Infinity War, it was a very nice, it was a relief. It was like, 
<sighs> like, you know, not right. absolutely everything is terrible and horrible and world ending. And so I, I liked it in that way. So contextually, like it came out, I, I came out of it feeling a little differently, I think. And I probably like it more as a result of that because it was such a counterbalance to everything that went down in Infinity War. And so it was still nice to know there was some fun and some enjoyment and some stuff that happened. And I know the end credit scene, but, um, like all of that said, I really, I did enjoy this one. I enjoyed it in a different way. Um, and part of that was more Cassie. And part of that was, um, because, because of the first one. So I could sort of, again, take them as a set. And then I felt like this was a very good, uh, second piece, you know, to put, to put these two together and have this entire story told. I really, really liked it in that respect. And, uh, and it felt good after, you know, it was the Sherbert at the end after, you know, all of the, the gloom and doom of Infinity War. This was a really nice change of pace. And I think uh, for me, I, I it's hard for me to say whether I would place it at the same level as Ant-Man only because I've seen Ant-Man many times and I've only seen Ant-Man and the Wasp once. And Ant-Man was such a delightful mm. surprise. And this was... Uh, you know, although in this case, I, it was relief because I wanted more yes. of that feeling, right. and it ge- right. it delivered. Right, it delivered. It didn't. It does it didn't, what it says on the it box. It didn't mess it up. Right. It gave me that Ant Man feeling, and that is what I wanted. I also one of the things I really like about it that Ant Man feeling. It's cr- it's it's the crawling all over your skin is what the oh, Ant Man feeling is. Unfortunately, it's too bad. Uh, the uh, thing that I that I was struck by that I wanted to mention is you know a, a lot of conversations about all these superhero movies. We live in this era of superhero movies. Was the fact that there are so few of them that are women led that, you know, Wonder Woman right. and, and, and Captain Marvel is coming. And this is almost like it wasn't their plan. I really believe firmly that when they made Ant-Man is like, well, we'll make this movie and then people will really like it. And it'll be, that'll be a surprise. And then we'll make the next one and it'll be Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, that I, I don't think they had any kind of kind of planning like that. Right. But it was the logical progression from the end of Ant-Man. I love that they went through with it. I love that Evangeline Lilly gets so much to do doing this and that she, she it really is ant-man and the wasp and that she is a full-fledged she keeps rescuing him yeah, she's a full-fledged superhero well, like in the first mm-hmm. movie we know she's actually better at this than he is um right and, and so i think that's also kind of delightful that uh, everybody's eye was on captain marvel which is coming out next year and i'm lo- really looking forward to that and like look um marvel di- already did a movie with a woman superhero in the title no she's not first but uh, i think this is I, I like that about this movie that that they didn't shy away from the fact that by the end of that the, that last movie, it was very clear that Hope deserved to be a superhero, and she gets to be that in this. And I really like that about it too. So I'm I'm I was just so relieved because again, it would be sad if it was like, yeah, Ant Man was great, and then they made that sequel. And it's like, no, I I think maybe as a match set, they go together really well, mm-hmm. which is great. That's a great thing to think that you can watch them both from now on and have two good Ant Man movies. Maybe there'll be another one. Well, we got a good Ant Man movie and we got a good Wasp movie. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. So next up, the Luis, Luis and the Wasp. Yeah. <laughs> in you know, I don't know what what genre that will be in after the heist and the uh, and the car chase. Well, they they have they have to get him back from the quantum realm. Yeah, it's a buddy movie. It's oh, a Japanese no, they horror can't, film. They can't do a sequel. 
the, it, it'll be too awful because they established in the first movie that if you don't wear the helmet, you're going to go crazy. And they're shrinking and growing all over the place without helmets in the oh, second Chip. movie. The third's going to be so Chip, dark. you get a no prize for that. Right. Yes. Well done. <laughs> I look forward to my empty envelope from the Mary Marvel Marching yeah. Society. The technology has advanced in two yes, years. They, they worked all that out now. All right. Uh, I would A uh, lot of fun talking about these movies, which are so much fun. So I, I'm glad that that worked out that way. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me. Chip Sutter, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. David Lohr, thank you. Thank you. Kelly Gamont, thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having me. And Cicero Holmes, thank you. Uh, you're quite welcome. I will fade away. Oh, that's right. Did he shrink? <laughs> oh, Did he get bigger? No. I don't even know. Uh, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. A little more Summer of Marvel yet to come next week. And we'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.